The airline industry in America is gorgeous right now and has been for some time. Unless, that is, you're an airline named Sun Country. The Great Recession of 2008 drove Sun Country into bankruptcy, and it didn't emerge until 2011. Profits again dwindled in 2016 and 2017, and in 2017, the airline replaced its CEO and adopted more of a low-cost model. Although these are still very early days, Sun Country hasn't had much success yet. Is it too soon to expect results, or is Sun Country underperforming? I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the always sunny Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. In addition to Sun Country, we'll check in on Frontier and explore the notion of an Emirates-Etihad merger. Plus, we'll take the pulse of a handful of very troubled airlines, none of which is named Norwegian. Maybe these carriers can drink their troubles away in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Hello and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge, now powered by Skift. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm pleased to inform you Airline Weekly has merged with the travel content provider Skift, and that should mean great things ahead for both the lounge and Airline Weekly itself. You can read about the merger at skift.com or airlineweekly.com. We're starting today's show with Sun Country, an airline that is struggling. Not only is it not enjoying the terrific margins that its U.S. peers are, it's not even consistently making money. In the second quarter, the airline lost $2 million. Though it did produce a positive 1% operating profit margin, it's still way behind its U.S. peers. Now, it should be said they are only one year into their CEO's tenure. That CEO is Jude Bricker, who helped build Allegiant, one of the most successful and visionary airlines in the world. Seth, do you think after a year they should be seeing better results? Well, uh, look, yeah, it's, it's hard to control for everything. Uh, obviously, fuel costs are impacting them like everybody else. Uh, so if you – and I should say you know, it, it's, it's difficult to see exactly what's going on there as with other airlines because they're private. This is just government data, basic government data that comes out that tells us about their finances. But anyway, you can, you can guess they're paying a lot more for jet fuel and all that. So you know, relatively – their margins haven't declined by as much as many other airlines' margins. In fact, it was it was one of the uh, the softer declines in terms of progress. Well, that, uh, that's progress, right? If 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 the uh, you know sort of the year over year performance is better than most others, uh, and, and by that measure they're doing well. But of course, they have a lot more ground than just that to make up. Now, I should say, um, you mentioned the 1% of sort of barely above break-even operating profit margin for the second quarter. Uh, on an annual basis, it, it, it's not quite that bad. Uh, they have a 4% operating profit margin over the past 12 months. Uh, so that's their you know, kind of up-to-the-date, up-to-the-minute, rather, uh, annual profit margin. Uh, they, they have kind of weird peak periods. They, they do really well during the first quarter, for example, everybody running to, well, the seeking sun, right? Uh, taking sun country down to down to those markets. So, uh, you know, so if you looked only at the at the first quarter, you would say, well, it's one of the most profitable airlines in America. The, the second quarter, they, they do poorly. But anyway, add it all up. And, and, and your general point, Jason, is, is, uh, is well taken that they uh, are, are far below 
uh, their peers. Um, for example, I'm just kind of looking here. Okay, I said 4% for them. Who is the who's who's next? And you have to go away. If you're kind of looking at a table of global airlines, like the one we ran in the uh, in our current issue, hop online, request a trial if you want to see it, if you don't subscribe, shameless plug. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to go up to United at, at, at 9% and they're you know, a couple dozen airlines between them in the world. Um, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so the progress on uh, a very relative basis in that they decline less than most other U.S. airlines, and they're all down uh, year over year. But, um, but, but a long way to go before they are uh, putting up the kinds of margins that that other U.S. airlines are are putting up. Surely, it can't help that it shares its main hub with Delta. Right. Look, they know that, and that's probably why um, you know if you, if you look at where they are growing and shrinking, Minneapolis, and that's what you're talking about, uh, still by far their largest station. I'm looking here. This is according to to Dio uh, schedule data. You know, for for this fourth quarter that we just started, they are. 16% smaller in Minneapolis uh, than they were for the same quarter a year earlier, even though the airline itself is growing a little bit, um, 3% larger. So, you know, I've taken some of that capacity, reallocated it to places like Las Vegas, uh, some sunshine markets, uh, Orlando, Fort Myers. Yeah, just, just, you know, some of the places where you would, um, where you'd picture an ultra LCC uh, flying. Uh, uh, Tampa, you know, has now become a meaningful market for them, uh, uh, you know, from almost nothing uh, in the past. So, yeah, it, it's uh, you know, Minneapolis is still an important source market in terms of taking people to those sunshine destinations, uh, and still a place where they you know sell connections and and, and all the rest of it. Uh, but you can see them looking much more like a typical ultra low cost carrier in terms of their network, kind of collecting people from uh, from you know from origin markets in their case you know like minneapolis although not only there and uh and, and taking them to to uh, large leisure destinations you mentioned in the last episode that it's different now for new entrants do you think this environment is presenting headwinds for sun country well yeah sun country is a good example of what i was talking about i, I mentioned how sort of the, the the smallest airlines aren't all that small anymore uh you know, if you think about airlines like let's say Allegiant, uh, I mean, this is an airline with what, almost uh, 100 airplanes, you know, the, the incumbents are, are are rather large. And so that means that it's harder to to achieve scale. Now, I say incumbents, not like some countries, a new airline. But anyway, you know, in terms of achieving the kinds of unit costs that uh, uh, that those other airlines are achieving, you know, through growth, through aggressive growth, and then just you know, as, as, as big as they become, that's going to be hard for some country. And, and especially, you know, if anything, they are uh, very consciously not growing like those airlines. They haven't placed a big fleet order, uh, for example. So uh, they're being very conservative you know, with with their balance sheet, and 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 you know, that's not a bad thing to be to not bury themselves in debt and all all of that, uh, or you know, just just kind of commit themselves to spending a lot of money whether whether through uh through finance payments as an owner of aircraft or or, or or leases for example but on the other hand it means that when everybody else continues growing and they're not growing it, it kind of puts additional pressures on on their uh their unit cost structure so it, it's it's not easy but it is an industry that's that's doing very well you know you mentioned jude bricker the new ceo i mean his job isn't necessarily to match the margins of all the competition his job is to is to 
you know, put some kind of country in a position where it's, it's, uh, it's better off than it's been. And by that measure, uh, you know, however tepidly, you know, it, it, it seems to be doing that. Um, you'd like to see, of course, some, uh, some more progress here, uh, going forward. Uh, so, so, uh, you know, so far so good, but in, in terms of just moving in the, uh, in the right direction, at least in terms of uh, stopping the relative declines. It's it's a tough environment for, in this case, not a new entrant, but somebody that as they go into these markets, you know, they're kind of the new airline in some of the markets that they go into. And uh, it's just tough when you don't have the cost structure. Probably again, it's you know, it's 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 difficult to look at their finances in the way you can some of their competitors. But you know, you, you can kind of gather that they don't have the same cost structure. Uh, with so few airplanes, same unit cost structure as uh, as some of their, you know, as an airline maybe like Spirit, let's say. But you've got to match those fares <laughs> if you're going to be an ultra low cost airline. You've got to be matching the fares uh, of those other airlines. So that probably explains a lot of why their margins uh, are, aren't the same as the other airlines. If they're charging similar fares, but their costs aren't quite as low, you know, that that's going to eat into their profits. We also now have Frontier's second quarter earnings. Like Sun Country, Frontier is not a public company. And also like Sun Country, we have to wait to get their figures from the U.S. Department of Transportation. But we got them and Frontier's numbers were good. 15% operating profit margin. But that was down from 22% a year earlier. Seth, how did their decline compare with declines at other U.S. carriers? They were kind of middle of the pack, so yeah, kind of very different from Sun Country in this regard, right? So, so they they fell a lot, but they fell from from you know from such a high place. Uh, Sun Country had a very shallow decline, but they uh, they started in a worse position. So, uh, yeah, if you look at you know airlines like JetBlue and Alaska were the biggest decliners, uh, down by by about ten percent, about ten points, I should say, year over year. So Frontier, yeah, uh, better off than them. Others like like Delta did, uh, you know, did even better. You know, they're, they're, this, this is an airline also uh, opposite from Sun Country in terms of its growth trajectory. I mentioned Sun Country doesn't have a single aircraft on order uh, at the moment, right? Uh, Frontier has this, uh, 100 A320neos on order, uh, another 34 A321neos. That's 134 airplanes there to add to the the 78 uh, it flies today. That's 78 according to uh, CH Aviation. So so you know there you have it. Plans to get to uh, to to 200 airplanes. And I should mention, you know, a big headwind for Frontier is that uh, they're really the last big U.S. airline that hasn't yet given its pilots. A post bankruptcy contract, you know, so that's coming here. Uh, as a, you know, the airline obviously now is doing fine, and the pilots are going to, you know, expect to share in that. You know, some of those other more significant declines were driven partly by uh, rising labor costs at other airlines. In some cases, because of, of recent contracts that have come in, uh, so Frontier hasn't yet uh, swallowed that, and when they do, uh, it will certainly impact their profits. One of the most exciting pieces of news in a while came from Bloomberg a couple weeks ago. They reported that talks about a potential merger of Etihad and Emirates have accelerated. Both airlines, however, officially deny the report. Obviously, this is all very preliminary, but Seth, what do you think? Is a merger the obvious next step for these two guys? Yeah, and it's all driven by politics. Um, you know, Emirates has kind of indicated in the past, their management anyway, that, that you know, 
some sort of combination makes sense to them. Uh, but, you know, they're not the ones deciding. I mean, this is going to be decided at the government level. These are both government-owned airlines, um, respectively, by uh, the Emirate of, of du- Dubai and the Emirate of Abu Dhabi. Those are, of course, uh, two of the seven United Arab Emirates. So, look, uh, you've got Emirates, which is an airline whose profits are under pressure, but has always rather clearly been the most successful of of the of the Arabian Gulf carriers, the one you know, just, just kind of with the most sustainable business plan. Etihad rather clearly struggling. The consolidation makes sense, you know, especially with Dubai's new airport. Just geographically, so so Abu Dhabi is just south of of Dubai. It's you know, I guess the middle of Abu Dhabi is what maybe oh about an hour and a half, a little more than that from you know drive from the uh, the middle of Dubai. The old Dubai airport, which Emirates still uses, is north of Dubai on the other side of Dubai from Abu Dhabi. So you can't expect people from Abu Dhabi to go up there to fly. Whereas the new airport is sort of down the road from uh, from Dubai toward Abu Dhabi, still much closer to Dubai than Abu Dhabi. But you could imagine a situation where, you know, if you had that being the the long haul hub someday, and maybe the old airport in Abu Dhabi stays open as kind of an outstation for, you know, same way if you picture other situations around the world, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, Reagan National being the short haul airport and you know, people go out to Dallas for long haul flights, that kind of a thing, you know, Guardia, JFK, all that, the you know, London City Airport, so forth. So, you know, you, you, you could really imagine it working. Um, again, it's, 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 this is going to be decided at the uh, at the highest levels of uh, of government, and and uh, specifically, I think it's just a question for Abu Dhabi whether they want to keep uh, you know pouring capital into an airline that eh, hard, hard to imagine it ever really turning the corner on profitability in its current state. I mean, you know, maybe you could just shrink it way down to where it was it was the shadow of its of its current self, but then at that point, you know, well, maybe you're just kind of getting to where you've had the consolidation anyway. It's, um, it's interesting and something that we'll certainly keep an eye on because uh, there could be important global implications depending on what happens there. Speaking of implications, besides Etihad and Emirates, who do you think such a merger would affect the most? And I don't think we've ever done this before, but I'm going to make it a multiple choice question. Answer A, Qatar Airways, B, Turkish Airlines, C, Jet Airways, or D, Boeing and Airbus? Uh, okay, so first of all, the first three it, it it probably helps in some way because it's you know it's consolidation; it's one less competitor. So even if yeah, I think even if you're Qatar and you see oh wow here's here's an even more powerful Emirates, I think you'd still rather not be competing against uh, Etihad. Obviously, competing less directly now maybe than in the past because you can't fly to some of the same you know markets, but competing for the same direct uh, uh, connecting traffic. Yeah, Turkish same story. Uh, they they'd probably be fine with that. Jet Airways, you know, these are airlines that that compete for uh, for business to India from much of the world. I don't think they'd be at all sorry to see one competitor go away, even if it means Emirates is is uh, is even stronger than it is. Boeing and Airbus, very much the the opposite situation. Not a good thing. These are airlines. Let me put it to you this way. Just, okay, the first as far as new aircraft, the first one I pulled up here's here's uh the the 777X what today is called the 777X that's so it's the new 777 that uh, the Boeing is out marketing it'll come into service in a few years uh so there are 326 of those on order around the world of those 150 are from Emirates you know another 25 from Etihad uh then not to mention another 60 from Qatar so you know well over half uh of of the 
777Xs on order come from the Arabian Gulf. And of course, there's no, you know, it's not that by definition, just because they merge, they're going to, you know, get more conservative in terms of aircraft ordering. But you would have to imagine that that would be, uh, that that would be one, one, uh, second order effect. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to pick D. I'm going to say that the greatest impact would be on, uh, on, on Boeing and Airbus. Um, you know, they, they have, you know, they, they correctly say they have very diversified order books. Customers around the world, they're not nearly as dependent on any one region as they, you know, were in you know, many decades ago when, when most of the orders came from, from, uh, the U.S., but that would be, uh, a very important, and unhelpful development for airframe manufacturers, not to mention engine manufacturers and, and all kinds of other uh, suppliers. Those are Boeing and Airbus are perhaps the most visible ones, but um, the, the, the whole airline supply chain would, would be impacted by that merger if it were to happen, which is, I want to emphasize, still a very big if. Africa's fast jet continues to fail fast. We've talked about their struggles a few times on the show, but now, well, let's just say things are getting real. The recently reported results of the first half of 2018 were, in a word, not good. Jason, that's two words. <laughs> that was the, that's the joke. Ha oh. <laughs> <laughs> ha! Uh, no laughing matter to what's what's happening uh, over there in Tanzania. This, uh, yeah, wow. A 15 million dollar net loss, uh, which might not sound all that bad, right? There are airlines around the world that if they if they lost. Fifteen million dollars in a bad half—that uh, that wouldn't wouldn't equate to anything uh, catastrophic. The problem is that when you have just thirty million dollars in revenue, uh, that equates to a negative forty-nine percent operating margin. Uh, I did not misspeak. Forty negative forty-nine percent operating margin. Another way to look at it: thirty million dollars in revenue. Okay, not bad for a for a small airline, right? Uh, well, not bad unless you have $45 million in operating costs. I mean, all these numbers add up to the same thing, just making the point that uh, that this is an airline that is that is struggling badly. It's basically three units at this point. Um, there's, there's the Tanzania part, then there's Zimbabwe, and there's Mozambique. Zimbabwe is actually doing okay, actually breaking even now. Mozambique, not awful, but uh, Tanzania is... is uh, is, is Of those $15 million in net, net losses, $9 million of them come from Tanzania. Uh, management's talking about just getting rid of that unit, but the whole company needs more capital by by the end of October to uh, uh, to stay in business. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it, this is all very sad. This is an airline that um, was supposed to bring uh, you know the, the very successful LCC model to sub-Saharan Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa, outside of South Africa, anyway, within South Africa, you have Kalula. They're very, um, very successful LCC, but uh, but really the rest of the continent, um, it's it's just not there. And this was, you know, the founder of EasyJet uh, launched this airline, um, and and so there were high hopes, uh, and you know, naysayers uh, everywhere in the world. Doing, hey, people thought it couldn't work in America, it did uh, you know, Europe, it did Canada, you know, hey, Southeast Asia, it did all these places where the doubters had been proven wrong and this is one where yeah the the doubters have have been been right uh this far just just a, a tough uh you know tough regulatory environment you know you're facing some you know some heavily subsidized state-owned carriers that's part of uh, part of the issue you're not that that doesn't exist to some degree around the world but um but here it's it's rather acute yeah just just an airline that uh has has held on i mean they've had these moments kind of continually over the past several years where they seem to be on the verge and, and yet they're still around. You know, 
things are true until they're not, right? And and this is one that uh, I don't think, unfortunately, anybody would be surprised to wake up one day and see the headline that you know that the, their time has finally come. Speaking of airlines in trouble, Jet Airways certainly qualifies. We talked a lot about what's going on with Jet in the last show, but we did not talk about it in terms of an ex- existential crisis. The situation is so dire that Jet hasn't been able to pay its workers on time. Seth, how tenuous is this? Yeah, and this obviously a much more important story for global aviation than fast jet in the sense that jet airways is a rather big airline uh it flies intercontinentally from from uh well mumbai especially although not, not only there yeah no it, it's it, it's it's finances are uh, are awful it's uh shares let's see we're down another what 22 percent last week that um, already haven't you know haven't fallen dramatically from from their highs uh so yeah then this is another one that partly will be a a a political question here you know will uh india's government help jet you know that that's right now it's going to need something dramatic uh to to stay in business and uh you know one thing it's looked at doing is is selling part or all of its of its loyalty brands called jet privilege And, and this by the way you know an airline that has been rather well liked by by uh, um, by a lot of its customers over the years. You know, as sort of the alternative to Air India. Uh, the, you know, I, I don't even know at this point. We've talked about this in other episodes. You know, I think that the, the time might kind of be up on airlines. You know, flogging their their loyalty programs for for big money with what with what we've seen happen with Aeroplan in Canada. You know, where it turns out that the the plan is so dependent on the airline, especially here. If we're talking about an airline that uh, that is. In such trouble, I mean, you know, what are you really going to get for it? I'm sure you know you get something, but but uh, but probably a deeply depressed price relative to what they could have gotten a few years ago when the airline was healthier, and sort of before the the loyalty program landscape had had changed so much when there was maybe more appetite for uh, for that kind of investment. So yeah, uh, um, a, a big story here, an airline of great importance, not only to its customers but its partners, Air France KLM, now a very close partner. You know, Delta to Virgin Atlantic. So, um, uh, let's let's uh, let's see what happens here with Jet Airways, which is an airline that, no question, the uh, the Arabian Gulf carriers are are. You know, we talked about them before. Uh, important competitors. Um, you know, in, in term in, in a lot of key markets, North America, for example, being one where if 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 uh, if you know if they didn't have to compete against against that, you know, high quality of sometimes you know rather low low priced service they would probably be in better shape uh, than they are right now but uh india is a mess uh, you know just just the whole aviation sector in india right now and uh jet airways you know there's always kind of one airline that's in the most tenuous spot of all jet airways is 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 is, is clearly the one there by the way chase we pointed out there's some parallels that we put this out in our issue this past week there's some parallels between india and mexico another place with a, with a deeply troubled uh, airline sector right now. And the one difference is that in Mexico, the sort of the intercontinental legacy airline, Aeromexico, is the best off. It's the LCCs, uh, Interjet, Viva Airbus, um, Volaris, uh, that are in worse shape than Aeromexico. In India, it's the opposite. The LCCs are, although they're far worse off than they were uh, a year or two ago. They're the ones that are holding out a little better. And it's it's the the legacy airlines, uh, the legacy airline jet uh, airways that's in the uh, most trouble of all. And staying with the troubled airline theme just a bit longer. I swear there's some good news out there somewhere. <laughs> South African Airways is trying to put the pieces back together. Seth, you attended a press conference in New York last week with their new CEO, Voyani Jarana. 
He wants to avoid a bankruptcy bankruptcy restructuring and turn the airline around by actually, well, making money. What are they planning to do? There are people within South Africa that are calling for, hey, just let him go bankrupt. But his his job is to is to try to avoid that. Yeah, he talked a lot about the network and some you know some potential markets that they can develop further. Uh, sees opportunities perhaps flying between the U.S. and Nigeria. Uh, you know, at, at some point, for example, uh, West Africa clearly a focus for them. Uh, and, and that makes sense. That's a region that doesn't have strong local airlines. You know, East Africa, you've got Ethiopia, you know, and Kenya uh, Airways, which has turned itself around to um, the West Africa kind of there for the taking. And, and they're clearly interested in that. So so along with all the you know, sort of typical uh, cost cutting moves that an airline in trouble would make, uh, they're, they're also looking at, uh, at, at future growth. You know, we asked whether something that had been true in the past for him is still true, which is, you know, whether sort of intra-Africa travel, in other words, international travel from South Africa generally, um, is still the strongest part of their network. And he basically said, yeah, uh, you know, without going into any specifics. So, you know, the domestic South Africa is tough, rather competitive against strong local airlines, like when I mentioned earlier, Kalula, which is part of Comair. The long haul Although he didn't say this explicitly, uh, you know, I think it's rather clear that long haul is tough. But intra Africa seems to be uh, one that's doing all right. There's a couple other specifics, if you're interested. Uh, Australia, he said, is doing rather well. Germany is doing okay, he said. Uh, London is losing a lot of money. Uh, London, by the way, they cut from uh, two flights a day to one. You know, so, so you know, trimming the overall losses, yeah, just because it's. You know, if you're losing money in a the market, then if you fly it half as much, you're not going to burn as much fuel and all the rest of it. But, uh, but still, uh, still rather bad margins in in uh, the, you know, flying between Johannesburg and London. Gerana also said something interesting, something with potential implications for other airlines too. I'm talking about the comment he made that long haul daytime flights could become more appealing thanks to, of all things, Wi-Fi. What does he mean, and why does it matter? Yeah, you know, I thought this was interesting, Jason. So there, there are long-haul airlines that happen to have this, this particular issue of just low utilization of, of their aircraft. And it, it's a geographical thing. And it, these tend to be north-south markets. So remember I mentioned a minute ago, London's losing lots of money. He said a big reason for that is that the plane sits on the ground for 11 hours at Heathrow. And that just it's just the way the aircraft rotations work, uh, you know, in these north-south markets. And this is true also in the Americas, flying between... You know, let's say, um, especially the place like Miami and you know Brazil, Argentina, places like those, where plane sits on the ground at the outstation uh, all day long, and it's just because it's people want to fly overnight. Um, if they can't, you know, if they can't get anything done during the day, then they'd rather fly overnight. Business class passengers, especially, I'm talking sleep and uh, go to work when they get to the destination in the morning. Uh, and airlines at times have tried flying the daytime flights, saying, "Well, you know, low utilization—that's terrible. Let's just keep the plane in the air, fly back uh, during the day." And it just never seems to work because, um, uh, you know, even though it's good for costs, good for utilization, uh, just demand is so low uh, for those daytime flights that they end up losing money. Well, so what Geron is saying, he's saying, look, because of Wi-Fi, now that people can be connected and they can be productive while they're in the air, 
maybe that'll make these flights more viable. Yeah, too early, obviously, to, to to say whether it's the case. But I I did think that was uh, that was interesting. It would be helpful for them, certainly South African Airways, and uh, helpful also for other airlines that are stuck with a lot of low utilization, uh, long haul flying, sort of through no fault of their own, just just a, a, an accident of geography. And because it's always a good idea to take a numbers heavy visual and try to recreate it on radio. <laughs> Let's turn to a chart I saw in Airline Weekly that... <laughs> oh, this is going to make great radio. This chart compiles the fourth quarter capacity trends in the US. So this chart is looking at year-over-year growth in seats by airline and airport. I have a few questions Wait, say, say that one more time in case anybody... <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Just awful. Okay. <laughs> but I'm so excited about this chart. Um, <laughs> we're looking at year-over-year growth in seats by airline and airport in the US fourth quarter. Okay, so like so, what so like what's Delta doing in Atlanta percentage-wise in the fourth quarter, for example? Correct. Are you asking me or are you you're saying that's a that's a possible? Well, like just kind of like no, I mean I know, I know that's the answer, yeah, but just sort right, of yeah, right. Right, just helping people, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, okay, got a few questions starting with Denver. Frontier grew Denver by 21% year over year. United added 12% in Denver, Southwest 1%. My question is, what's happening in Denver? Well, some of what's happening, when you look at those frontier numbers, they've kind of gone in and out over the years. So I, I just went into to the DO schedules, for example. Uh, and so, yeah, so as you said, they're way up compared to a year ago, but they're also way down compared to like five years ago, e- even though the airline itself is far bigger now than it was then. So Denver, uh, you know, a far less important part of Frontier's network than it previously was. Although happily for Denver, uh, Frontier, you can see, seems to have concluded that they went too far with the cuts and now they are uh, restoring some of what they took out. I mean, Frontier, more than just about anybody else, they, they've they been just kind of all over the map in terms of network moves. I mean, if you think of all the thing, all the different focus cities they've gone into and out of and all the routes they've started and and stopped. And, and you know, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, they're, they're doing rather well. It's, it's kind of part of the ultra LCC model that you don't stick around in, in markets that aren't losing money. You know, you're not thinking about fully ad- allocated profits in a you know, network. Uh, you're thinking, you're not thinking mostly about, you know, uh, connecting revenue. They still sell connections, but you know, they're thinking mostly about, you know, are we going to make money today with this flight? And if not, why are we doing it? But, uh, but so that's, yeah, some of that is just noise from them going um, in and out, but uh, no, Denver, you know, Healthy local economy, uh, you know, the, an airport with good uh, hub geography. You know, in the case of United, it, it just plays perfectly into uh, what United's doing with trying to build its short haul feed at its what it calls its mid continent hubs, and Denver's one of them. You know, Houston, Chicago. Uh, so you know, they basically felt that they didn't have enough uh, of of that feed, and uh, they're they are building up those hubs. There, there you have it. And, you know, Southwest is, is, you know, seems to have done well in Denver for a long time and, and, uh, uh, just kind of tracking the overall growth of, of the airline Southwest case, as you mentioned, uh, 1%, but, a, but a, an important competitor there, you know, if you look at Southwest today, sort of what's different about Southwest from, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, you know, Denver is, is a big part of the answer. It was, it was, uh, uh, well, I guess the the last, I mean, of their big bases, the last of them to uh, to, to enter the network and and, uh, and 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 a place where they're they're 
clearly happy uh, to be. And speaking of happy places, Orlando seems to be booming. JetBlue. I hate that place. (laughs) How can you hate Orlando? I don't. I just don't like amusement parks, and they they have lots of them there. I know. I know. You know, lots lots of lots of people like that stuff. Um, from what I'm told, how old how old is your daughter? Three and a half. <laughs> and how is she going to feel when she learns that you've been uninvited to Disney World? She just or- she just doesn't know it exists. She she she. She doesn't know it exists, and uh, it, it's terrible. No, and I'm like a really good father in, lot, in, in every other way, but uh, but yeah, no, we just um, no, like it all. And I guess when she finds out about it, if she really wants to go, we'll go, you know, and all that. But um, but uh, but yeah, no, she just has no idea what that is. She's in the uh, DC Beltway bubble, huh? Like, indeed, <laughs> deprived right, child. Well, uh, Let's talk about Orlando. Uh, like I said, they seem to be booming. JetBlue increased its capacity there by 7%. Frontier, 3%. Spirit, 45%. Some amazing numbers. Sun Country, 18%. Southwest, 9%. Delta, 5%. United, 15%. What's the story behind these numbers? The story is that obviously not everybody feels about Orlando like I do. In fact, it's uh, it's a it's it's a it's a successful place. I mean, look, you know, leisure travel in general is booming, and that's not all that Orlando has. Um, you know, the, the aerospace. I mean, you know, a lot a lot of key suppliers to this industry. They're not you know headquartered there. They have they have uh, big bases of operations there. It's a a successful local economy um, for reasons related to to tourism and beyond. It's also a, a sort of up for grabs as an airline market. It's it's not dominated by by one airline, and so it's the kind of thing where it's not daunting to think, oh, I can go in there and, and expand the market because you know no airline has a stranglehold on it. Uh, you know, it's been a long time since uh, since Eastern sponsored the if you had wings ride at at Disney World. Can you tell my parents were better to me than <laughs> than I am to my daughter? I just um, impressed how you tied it all together. Yeah. <laughs> aviation, did a back theme park, and then and then after that, uh, Delta was the sponsor of the ride that came after that, and they they were the biggest airline in Orlando for a really long time. Then it became Southwest, um, but but it's yeah, it's just one of these places where. Uh, you know, spirit. Uh, you know, is, is, as you said, making making big moves there. Uh, what was that figure? You said forty five percent, really building up the market. So, so the, just the strength of demand there, along with the fact that all airlines see it like an oppor- you know, as an opportunity, um, in in a way that wouldn't be the case at at a sort of a fortress hub for one airline, where it's always an uphill battle for others. Orlando's doing very well. You mentioned how dynamic Frontier has been, and indeed, their numbers are all over the map. I'm talking about Frontier numbers here only. Philly is up 23%, Austin up 109%, Raleigh-Durham 345%, and as I mentioned, Denver is up 21%. Okay, so you say this is a high-growth airline, but then you have Las Vegas down 11%, Chicago down 12%, Tampa down 17%. A lot of numbers going both directions. Do you, you you talked about them before, but do you have anything else to add here? Yeah, that's 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 the model. Uh, they they try it, they go in big, and then they're not afraid to uh, to cut things. And it's interesting because if you listen to some of those that you said, it's so you know the case of you know we said Sun Country I mentioned earlier, and I was I was looking at the same uh, you know, chart when it, when I was uh, when I was talking about them 
when we were doing their earnings earlier and I said, you know, Minneapolis down, but then, you know, Las Vegas and, and, uh, Fort Myers and yeah, Orlando and these places, you, know, you very see, very clearly see this, the shift into leisure markets frontier. If you listen to some of those numbers that you said, it, it, there, there's not that same consistent theme, right? They're not growing Orlando rapidly right now, although that's kind of, that kind of hides the story that they already grew, uh, Orlando rapidly in, in, uh, in previous years, but sure. So on, on one hand, you know, you, you have leisure markets where, where, where they're expanding, but on the other hand, um, yeah, Philadelphia up twenty three percent. So, so they are are clearly happy happy to go in anywhere where they feel that there's uh there's opportunity. And Philly seems you know, seems to be one of those places, perhaps where they think it's been ignored by other ultra low cost carriers, and and just kind of see what happens. But just as quickly as they build it up, if it's not working, they will uh, pull it down. And you, you do see these these ultra low cost carriers bumping up against each other more than you did in the past. And this was inevitable. It's kind of interesting to watch. Uh, you know, when they were smaller, when, when when all of these Spirit Frontier Allegiant were, you know, 30, 40, 50 airplane uh, airlines, they, 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 all, they didn't have to compete very much against each other uh, because there was just so much out there, you know, that if one was going one place, somebody else could go somewhere else. And they had different network models. Frontier is kind of the most recent of the three to convert to the ultra LCC model. They, of course, had that big Denver hub, but, um, you know, Allegiant very much the sort of the small city to big city flying that they generally had done. Spirit, more of the the big city to big city flying. But um, yeah, you, you do see them bumping up into uh, up, up against each other more. So, you know, harder for any of them to just kind of claim a market for themselves. But um, you know, Frontier seems to feel, hey, try it. And if you're right more often than you're wrong, you'll be profitable. And, and indeed, uh, doing rather well, uh, which, you know, which you might not know if you just watch them going in and out of markets all the time. But, uh, but it all adds up to, to, um, to, to rather decent profits. Both United and Alaska are shrinking in San Francisco. Uh, that's the only market in which United is shrinking among its top 10. Why are they reducing capacity in San Francisco when the economy there is booming? Just operational issues, it, it runway work, and so forth. Uh, they've 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 had to do that. It's it's become uh, uh, operationally a a very uh, challenging place. Yeah, you can bet that uh, that they're not doing it because of a uh, of, of a lack of demand in um, in San Francisco. United in particular, you know, it's, it's over the years you can kind of watch them. They have these hubs that are kind of bellwethers for for industries. I mean, other airlines do too. Delta, you know, Detroit for the auto industry, but uh, you know, Houston and San Francisco in particular, kind of you know, depending on what's happening with the price of oil, the, they can shift capacity, but back and forth. Houston, of course, booms when uh, you know when 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 oil is expensive. In this case, just looking at that, you know, you might conclude that I don't know, there's some kind of tech bust or something. That's that not what's happening, at least not at the uh, not at the moment. Okay, last item of the day, JetBlue is adding basic economy to its fare classes. That's been a trend among U.S. airlines. Seth, will the trend end with JetBlue? Well, it'll end soon because only because there aren't very many airlines left <laughs> to uh, to do it. So yeah, that pretty much covers right at this point. You've got the uh, you've got the big three: United American Delta. You've got Alaska and JetBlue. The ultra low cost airlines, of course, everything basic economy. Right, that's what they do. I mean, then they you know they of course they upsell, but but the whole point of this was was that. They are basic economy, and these are airlines competing against it. Um, so, so yeah, really at this point, that leaves uh, Hawaiian and and uh, Southwest. Pretty hard to imagine Southwest doing it um, without, you know, just sort of first becoming comfortable with the idea of of unbundling the product. You know, Hawaiian kind of interesting. We, we we've seen obviously basic economy fares to uh, 
across the Atlantic. So the idea of longer haul basic economy, Hawaiian, of course, also has you know intra-island flying, very hyper short haul flying. Anyway, it exists. Uh, Hawaii kind of more of a premium leisure destination. So it's a little different from uh, you know from some of the people who some of the demand, travel demands between the U.S. and Europe. Uh, very price sensitive travelers. So, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm sure it's something that uh, that they look at. Um, but yeah, there's, there's not that much opportunity left in terms of basic economy. I mean, just in terms of airlines going toward it. Not saying they can't refine what they do. Uh, for the simple fact that most of them are already doing it in the U.S. anyway. Do these airlines like basic economy more because it competes with LCCs? It provides you know an answer to their product, or more because it supports their higher these the airlines higher fare classes? Meaning not the <laughs> sort of botch that question. <laughs> uh, let me let me start it all over. <laughs> uh, do these airlines like basic economy more because it provides a, an answer to the LCCs, or more because it supports their high fa- higher fare classes? Yeah, I, I think what they've found is that it's been the second part has become rather, um, rather important. I mean, you know, philosophically, the the first reason to do this was to compete against the um, the ultra LCCs. Um, that you know, there as as prevailing fares came down a few years ago. You know, for for a while back when fuel was expensive, kind of up until. You know, into what mid two thousand fourteen. You know, the legacy airlines could fill their planes with people paying kind of a lot, and and it, 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 they just didn't have to discount very much. And so, if the ultra LCCs were out there selling tickets for a lot cheaper, that, that was fine. Then prevailing fares just came down, and you know, if you were American Delta United, you you, you just had to compete against these airlines. More Delta was the one that had gone first with this, uh, even before that, but. Uh, so, so you know, the idea was this was a rather efficient way. If you're going to have to compete against them, either you uh, sort of dilute the whole economy cabin, or you create this product where okay, you can pay a spirit fare to fly Delta, American, or United, um, but you're going to get less uh, than than the the regular fare. Um, so you know that was kind of job one. Um, but then on top of that, yeah, what's kind of happened um, to a degree is that they're finding that you know. Basic economy, in a lot of cases, they're getting fares almost what they would have gotten with regular economy, and then it, uh, and then you get a lot of people buying up in, in, into the, uh, the 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 regular economy fares or the main cabin fares, as as uh, uh, some of these airlines call it. Uh, so it, it's it's doing both. You know, it's expanding their market. It's giving them a way to compete for highly price sensitive business without diluting things um but on the other hand uh a way to 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 upsell you know uh, and and uh it, it's it's rather clearly going well overall uh even though there've just as clearly been some uh uh some some hiccups uh along the way uh, uh, you know the, the united's case by rolling it out too broadly and in americans case here now by um uh we saw them uh do away with with, with the the restrictions on on carry on bags uh so they're still tweaking it but they like it and 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 JetBlue, you know every time that they've sort of dipped their toe i guess now maybe it's their whole foot into the water of uh maybe even part of your leg into the water of uh unbundling and uh pursuing ancillaries they things have always seemed to work well uh you know maybe, maybe even better than they expected um they don't get the pushback that they worry about from customers um you know people still like the airline for the reasons that they already liked it that they just kind of get you know 
get paid a little more for uh, for for what they do. So um, you know, we'll have to see how they do with it, and and for that matter, what exactly it looks like. We don't know that yet, but you know, no reason to think that it won't work as well for them as the the previous uh, attempts at unbundling, starting with the bag fees a couple of years ago, which which uh, which went rather well. All right, we'll leave it right there and mercifully conclude episode <laughs> six of the Airline Weekly Lounge. In what did we learn today? We learned that the Sunny Seth Kaplan is not so sunny <laughs> if he's standing in line for Space Mountain. <laughs> uh, seriously, uh, thanks for joining us here in the Airline Weekly Lounge. 